We're back to the Neil Haley Show. My guest today is Emmy Award-winning showrunner and executive producer of Coach Prime, Micah Brown. Micah, thanks for coming by. But man, you've been involved in a lot of cool projects uh, in, in in this time before we even go into Coach Prime. So you, you can kind of talk about specifically enough. I again, I ESPN Thirty for Thirty, which I absolutely love. Then you talk about one that I love, Last Chance You. Another one that I just just really really enjoyed. Is sports your thing? It seems like a lot of your projects is that. Are you a sports fan? Yeah, you know, um, sports has always been a passion of mine. I played college football at the University of Kansas, ran track as well, and so I think you know, going to film school and then kind of making the jump into a career. You know, I always look at ways to kind of mesh my passions together just because I want to be able to do a lot of different things that I'm interested in. And so they just seem to be a lot of synergy between the two art forms. And so it's it's been fun. And so that's kind of my bread and butter. And, you know, working with football is obviously fun for me and I have the opportunity to do that now with Coach Prime. Absolutely. And I've gotten to interview lots of sports athletes in my career on my, for my, my independent show. And what always is the stories. There's always a story in sports. There's always a, uh, you know, get out off your feet and still make it type of thing. When you got to finally meet, you know, Dion and do this show, did you learn certain things about Dion that you didn't really know in this process of working together in, in so many ways that maybe you didn't see from on the field from the years of watching him? Yeah, I think, you know, you have this preconceived notion about really any celebrity, whenever you meet them, you have this idea of who they are in their mind, and then you start to get to know them, and you start to kind of see their heart. For for Coach Prime specifically, you know, you see prime time. You see him going out. Uh, you see the flash. You see all of the things. And then you kind of start to get to know Dion a little bit, and you start to kind of like pull back the layers on that, and you see what kind of a father he is. You see his heart for the players that he has, and you start to kind of see all of the realness there. It's not the, it's the stuff when the cameras aren't rolling. It's the stuff when he pulls his kid in and tells him how much he loves him. It's when he puts the chain around his son's neck and he prays for him. It's when he puts his hand around a guy whose father's in prison and he, and he, and he mentors him. It's like all of that kind of stuff that the cameras don't really see all the time. And you're like, wow, that's why this person's so respected. And this why this person has gotten where he is, because, you know, he's a winner. He's a winner both on the field, off, as a coach, and now, um, you know, in life. In the first season, what do people miss? Especially they're going to tune into season two. I'm, I'm sure they can catch up with season one. You can tell us how they can do that. But what what kinds of stuff did you see that are different in season two? What's, what did, where did season one take place and all that? Yeah, so season one was in his his trip in Jackson, you know, and so I wasn't involved in um, in the production of that show. And so it, it was kind of fun for me to be able to kind of step in and take over that great franchise and kind of look at it and go, OK, what are some things that speak more to my sensibilities? What are some things that I want to do a little bit different, you know, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller? And I think one of the big things for me was that, yes, this show is called Coach Prime, but I do think that you need to build up the characters around him. To, to really care about them so that you can understand, you know, the kind of leader that he is. 
And so one of the things that we did was look at who are our main characters going to be. And we're going to pick, you know, six guys and we're going to follow those guys and from the start to the end. And they all have a little bit different stakes and a little bit different whys. And you get to see how football, and you spoke to this, um, a great thing about sports is that football creates obstacles and conflict and it reveals your character, you know? And so when you go sports and you put trials in front of people, they will change. It will test their character. And this season definitely had a lot of uh, character testing moments. And then it's you as a former football player and me as a former professional wrestler, I'd play one year of high school football, I played college basketball, but pro wrestling really is where I sink my teeth into that challenge of every day going out and performing and being able to still live life and understand life and deal with things. That adversity I dealt with as a professional wrestler is what's made me today who I am. Because I took all yeah. that same thing. I think it happened with you. So I think a lot of times when you're talking to these guys, let them really tell their story. How do you as a producer say, hey, you know what? You got to really tell your story and not let the cameras intimidate you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I say it all the time and that there's a difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency is when you answer the questions that people ask you, you know, it can be honest. But vulnerability is when you say, hey, I'm in it right now, and you offer up information. And I think that whenever you can get vulnerability, then you have something really special. And so um, as a competitor, you know, I can go to Coach Prime or I can go to a player and I can say, hey, here's what um, it takes to be good for this show to be good, and this is what it takes to be great. And we're already at good. And because myself and this team are good. <laughs> so we're already there. So if they want to make it great, it's on them. And so I think when you can position something to them in that way, and this is what it's going to take, then it's so easy for people to process the why. Why am I doing things? Why am I giving you access? Why am I allowing you? Why are you asking me this? And you can kind of give them the why of like what you want to show and where you're going. I feel like there's a lot of filmmakers that try to hide where they're going. But if you tell them, hey, not in like a, I'm going to fake anything, but you say, this is why I want to know about your relationship with your dad. Because I see it this way. Do you see it this way? And sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you get it right. But there's no like pulling one over on somebody because it's about relationship and it's about trying to like tell a third party unbiased approach of what the story is. And sometimes it becomes like a, a therapeutic relationship between yourself and the subject. And I think that's really special. Now, let, without giving away the thing, do you think that Dion's going to resurrect Colorado like he resurrected Jackson, where he was able to get to the, the, the pinnacle based on work with I him? Do. I do. I do think he is going to. I think that it's one of those things where um, he's the only person who could do it the way that he's doing it and be successful. I truly believe that. And he's a winner. He has that it factor. And so I, I don't, I think that when people look at this season, they look at the record of four wins, but I don't think people really put into context how bad those other losses were for the last decade. And then consider that they could have easily had nine wins this year, very easily could have had nine wins this year. There was two games where they got just flat out beat down. You know, the other ones, they were right in it. Is a couple of plays away. And you know how it is. The sports is like, it's a couple of plays away, you know? And so oh. that's a couple of 
guys away. That's a couple, you know, they're probably coach said at the beginning of the year, there's six, seven, eight guys away from being really there. But when you got a quarterback like Shador and you got a, the best athlete that I've ever seen play college football, Travis Hunter, I mean, you got a chance. You got a big chance. And we got a whole Hall of Fame first ballot guy as your coach. You're not going to stop getting top recruits. You're not going to stop getting that stuff. So you still got to perform. You still got to come together. But um, he's shown that you can do it a different way. Do you see differences in like the, the how these players when they started with Coach Prime till the end when you filmed how they matured from his yeah. mentorship? Yeah, you do. You start to see, and it, and it's less about um, maturing because some people are they come in and they're already that guy, and so I think that's the kind of thing that you that you have to learn is that there are some people that you have to pull up to the standard, and then there are some people that can never meet the standard. And then there's some people that already know what the standard is. They're trying to get the guys that already know what the standard is. You know, that's why they're going to the transfer portal. And that's, but, you know, not everybody can handle the glitz and the glamour. And there's some people that fall to the wayside. And you'll definitely see that in this show, you know, as the people that couldn't make it, the people that couldn't handle the prime effect, the people that couldn't handle, you know, the fame and the glitz and the glamour and all that stuff. And so I think that's one of the things that's really compelling about this. Absolutely. Where do you see this? Like, will you do another season? How's this go after the second season's over? How does this, how does this work with Coach Prime's show? Because you said you weren't the executive producer for season one. Yeah, so I'm signed on for uh, if there is another season, uh, which things are kind of trending in that way. Uh, if there is another season, then I'll be the showrunner of that season. You know, so I'm excited about that. Exactly. So what? So what's the, so like? What's the difference between an executive producer and a showrunner? I interviewed some a showrunner uh, working with Peacock one time, and I didn't even understand showrunner. Define that really quickly for our, yeah, our yeah, I mean, producer. But it's like the the tag showrunner is like uh, it's um, there can be a lot of different executive producers, but there's one person in charge, and so you never see like showrunner in the credits. But showrunner is just the TV version of like director. Or like, who's the creative person that's actually running the show? Because executive producers like Michael Strickland's my boss. He owns the production company. You know, Con Constance Schwartz uh, Maroney is my boss. You know, Anthony Smith, my boss. You know, at Smack. You know, they're all running that. But I'm the one who's boots on the ground running this show. So they may be involved with like 10 different shows that their production company is doing it. But I'm the one who's running the show. Well, I'm going to put uh, put something in the hat based on this. I saw you worked with WWE before. If, yeah. again, Al Snow and uh, the wrestlers that was on Netflix, I really think that if they don't pick it up, there should be a second season of OVW. I'm, they just got financial funding. I don't know what's happening. I'm going to put my hand in that back because I'm a big fan of pro wrestling. And I'm going to go back in the ring, by the way. I'll announce this first on with you, Mike. I've said it before, but I'm training maybe to go back in the ring at 50, at 51. I'll be 51 in January. So I w was wrestled with The Rock before Rock wore his knee pads. So who knows? Maybe there's a documentary for me someday once I get to this level. Maybe I can make it come back in wrestling to the pinnacle top where I couldn't make it when I was in my 30s. Never know. Oh, maybe, you know, why not? Why not? Yeah, you have to. I did a um, show called WWE Evil for Peacock. You'll have to go watch that. It was pretty fun. It was kind of about the, uh, you know, the psychology behind professional wrestling, some of the wrestling's biggest 
uh, villains. So I I'm watching. Probably- I'm watching it, and I'll let you know my feedback because again, I love being a heel. The bad guy is yeah. the greatest thing in the world. So I work as a baby face or heel. It depends on what towns. But, you know, without television, but when we had TV, it was crazy. We couldn't even go to grocery stores and they'd hate us. Literally times right. we would try to get out of the place. And we would we, we basically, when I turned heel on Colorado Kid, and this is a shout out for people who are old school pro wrestling fans. He ended up working for uh, Burt Prentice. I mean, for Gary Lawler, but Burt ran a territory right near where Lawler's territory was. I turned on him and literally there were people just going, wanting to kill me. That's the way you as a heel when you have television. But when you're on television, you really have to tell a story to that being a villain. But it's the best thing. It's the best thing to be hated in wrestling. I don't know. Sure. I mean, I guess I, I, you know, I'm doing a movie would be the same thing to be the villain. I guess that's why they love being villains, right? Because you can be a character that you wish you could be in life and you can't. So, so in that context, then Coach Prime, babyface or heel? Babyface. He's a baby face to his players, but he's a heel to all the other teams. Okay. What do you think of that? We heard it first. You heard it okay. there. All right. We appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks, man, Micah. It's the best place. It's, it's available. Season two is available on Prime Video. How does that work for people to go ahead and watch it? Yeah, you can go watch right now. Prime Video. It has the first two episodes out. The, the third episode is coming out on Thursday, which is tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so it'll be out. So the the first two episodes, the first episode is preseason. The second episode has the TCU game. The third episode that's coming up, which you're not going to want to miss because it's my favorite episode, is Nebraska Colorado State, and there's some really powerful stuff in that. All right, we appreciate it, Micah, and p- people can follow you on social media as well. Working, yeah. they- yep, at Micah Brown Film. You can follow me on Instagram uh, or on Twitter. Um, you might see some Foo Fighters posts. You might see some stuff with my kids. Super interesting follow. For sure. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Appreciate it, Micah. All right. You're listening yep. to watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing amazing. I'm so excited about Christmas and so excited to talk to Anson Williams. As we know, Potsy, really excited. Yeah. So again, Anson Williams, Potsy, Happy Days. We can finally mention the word "high Happy Days" again, right? And talk about projects. Isn't that great, Anson? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Finally, seven months. I think. Of uh, yeah, it felt it felt like uh, it's. I felt like I was in like solitary confinement. <laughs> well, I did too. I had to keep interviewing athletes, and now everyone's coming out of the woodwork, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's great. But I wasn't ready, and and it's not slowing down in 2023. All right, Greg, oh, what no, question no, do you yeah, want to ask yeah. Anson first? Yeah, well, sure. I want to continue. We were talking, you know, in the green room a little bit about you know Anson's bid for mayor, and he was telling me what a blessing it was, and I just wanted to understand a little bit more about that because that was interesting. So shoot, what else was oh. it? Well, so interesting. When I, I learned so much about politics, I, I didn't think I was that naive, actually, because I went in there very heartfelt. My, my community, small town of Ohio, so much I thought we could do that hasn't been being done for the community. And boy, it became like a microcosm of Washington. It was, they can put us right there at the Capitol. <laughs> it's like same conversations, I mean, same personalities. It was incredible. But, and, and there was a lot of um, questionable election stuff, 
I lost by 40 votes, but actually, but what was phenomenal about it, it was such an education. And by losing, I won because we were able to expose so much of what the city needed, what was being done, and questionable things being done, that it, so, it woke up the community because for years and years, it's been kicked down the road. Nobody, you know, no one's really looking into it. No one was that interested. But when you find out you're $50 million, $50 million in deferred maintenance, and that's, that's the pipes underneath the city, that's oh, the man, roads, yeah. the entire infrastructure, and you see where the money's going and you see how it's being um, organized. And, and, and then you find out the few families that are controlling the little community. Howard, I said, I can't make up these characters. I cannot make up this story. Because you're kidding. I go, no. Every time I thought, okay, this is as far as it's going to go. A whole new chapter opened up. A whole <laughs> new chapter. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep running and I'm, I'm going to just um, um, like copyright the script I'm going to write. I mean, it's like, and I'm going to go based on a true story. Unbelievable, right? So anyway, back to it. Now, what, what, what did happen is things are changing. Things, people are being called upon. And uh, there's a lot going on to uh, begin to correct this problem that's been going on for a long, long time. And um, it's so, check this, it's so bad that, the city manager at the time, a wonderful city manager, happened to find another job, <laughs> you know, and, and, and got a bit. And then they brought in an interim city manager, very respected, a very knowledgeable guy who is, is his expertise is coming in between city managers and helps you bring in the next city manager. A brilliant guy, incredibly great ideas, total professional. He's he's been. He's done this job in numerous, numerous successful cities. The other week, they were at a, um, uh, a, a private session council meeting. And he, he says, I've had it. I'm done. And he, he walked out. He quit. So now I think we have a 20-year-old assistant, 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 um, city manager kind of running things. And um, yeah. So anyway, in the meantime, I'm free. And able to do, um, you know, have wonderful opportunities. And I feel I can do more to help our community not being elected. Very well, cool. I guess that, that sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's crazy. So, I mean, what would you say? It's just basically you're glad it would have happened. You learned stuff. But politics, is that going to be you anymore? Anthony, ever going to uh, try to run again? Just, just shoot me, okay? Just yeah. shoot me. Just, <laughs> just put it right there. You can do so much. I didn't realize you, first of all, you need the right collaboration. You need the right group. Um, both groups have problems with and Both groups have the ego is not the way to do things. And, and ignorance and ego is really not the way to do things. So I am so thankful. And now I'm free to get in there and get out, you know, really get in there, motivate, you know, help make the changes. And I'm not, if, if it would have been an awful experience with not having the right counsel, with not having the right, you know, people surrounding you, um, you know, a few rich families that are controlling the community, things like that. Um, yeah. It would be frustrating. Like a global problem. <laughs> you could, you, I'm telling you, it's, 
it's, I'm not going to get into politics with Washington. I don't know what anyone's dealing with, but there's a lot of egocentrical self-involved people over there. That's, you know, whatever. And that we, we were a microcosm of that. Wow. So uh, I'm terribly, th- I am so thankful. I still might write, I still might write the script. I, I don't just, see why not, I you know? Might, that'd be the best, best way to really like just. <clears throat> hey, if, if I remember, you know, we just talked about seven months of been of, you know, something going on in Hollywood. I don't know how much you can share with that, but you know, what, what happened? What's going on? Anything you can tell us uh, that caused that issue and how did it get resolved? And what was that all like? Well, there's just so many new platforms for entertainment, you know, with AI and with streaming and it's just growing and growing. And truly the actors weren't getting their fair share in any which way. And, and, Fran Drescher, a wonderful president of SAG, just a very, very committed, smart uh, woman. Um, and the board said enough, just enough. They wouldn't negotiate, you know, and, and they, 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 they put us to the wall. And, and I mean, the majority of, of Screen Actors Guild, which are thousands and thousands of, of folks, said no we have to strike we have to do we have to suck up and do it otherwise there'll be nothing left i mean everything you know getting away from television you know we had the, the we had a big problem with the cable deal years and years ago we had to strike that uh and this is even bigger it, and, and so many things are so new like ai um and streets out of control and residuals and all this it's just well defined and all that had to be taken care of and and Fran and the board worked hard and they got a billion dollar deal. Oh, that's phenomenal. How, who can say no to the nanny? You know what I mean? It's like impossible. Yeah. yeah <laughs> she's an activist. She's an activist and committed and heartfelt and selfless. And it was for us. And uh, she's just, um, she's amazing. The board's amazing. And they, 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 they really, you know, brought the monetary needs in and, opening it up for future too. So, right. so the platform now, we've got a way to go. We've got a defined direction for all of this and it will grow as we go. But she, she really, uh, she really did the right thing and had to be. And now we're in much better shape for it. And, and now we can actually say, uh, Oh, I was on happy days. I mean, I can actually say that now without getting arrested. So that feels <laughs> well, that's cool. So, you know, just to catch up everyone uh, on this. So AI, are you talking about, you know, use your voice, use your image, use a yeah. full uh, 3D, full motion uh, image of, of you. Can t- talk about that a little bit. What, what, what exactly are they doing out there? Well, I mean, they can't, I mean, they're doing a lot of that now, um, but they can't, well, they can't anymore. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's actually a film in development, or I don't know if they're filming it, I don't know. They're actually starring James Dean. They're actually taking old footage of James Dean and they're able to make it into a full character in a movie. Wow. Wow. So, um, yeah. So it's uh, it's so that's pretty scary. So this makes it much harder to do that. Uh, you can't do without without OKs, without contracts. Yeah. But, and that's why it was a runaway train. Yeah. And um, it, it's not anymore. You wow. know, it's much more control, much more focused. And, you know, it was it, it was a hardship for uh, all of us, you know, for not being able to work. Yeah. Good work in animation. You could do commercials. 
Uh, certain companies uh, were able to work because they sign, they, 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 you can sign these, um, they'll give you uh, an okay if you're willing to take, you know, whatever's negotiated. You agree ahead of time. That's usually independent companies, not the big, not the big studios, not the big production companies. So um, there was still a little work, but but the, but the majority couldn't work, and it was a real hardship. But everyone sucked it up, and uh, for the greater good, and for the future screen actors, for the future performers. Wow. And definitely that looking at image and likeness type of a thing, especially if you own the image and likeness of yourself, that yeah. was something totally different, you know, and t-shirts are different things, but now thinking with AI and a hologram, go figure. It's crazy. Now, Anson, uh, latest project. Uh, tell us about that. This is really exciting. What's happening, right? Very excited. Uh, you know, I directed for years in television mostly. And, uh, so about, and then I, I, I wanted to live a long life, so I've kind of retired from uh, television directing. And right after Secret Life of the American Teenager, I directed a third of those with Shailene Woodley. And then I went more just back into producing and, and creating and trying to do some... Are you frozen? No, you're not. You look. You were just... You're, you're fine. No. You just didn't move. You didn't move, so I thought... No, we're not, frozen. not frozen at all. I'm just... Not... No, good. But you look... It's very good miming. It really it was like... I thought you were frozen. Anyway, um, so I was, I'm really crea creating more kind of new platforms in entertainment and and developing a few, uh, you know, um, movies and things like that. But my wife, Sharon, is um, a phenomenal writer. And she had written um, a memoir um, about her life growing up. Funny, emotional, um, um, tragic heroic growing up with uh in, in, with with her mother having a psychotic breakdown from eight years old having to grow up with mental illness and how it affected the family in a southern railroad town and she took these chapters and would get, get with, was getting award after award after award and i had the idea it should be a play it should be a one-woman show i said this thing will will be a powerhouse not only for entertainment but also to bring attention to the one of the biggest problems in our country in a very creative, very tactile, very embraceable way. And um, she did, she adapted it to a play. And we, we got Carolyn Hennessy, a major theater person, but she's the, been the star of General Hospital for 17 years to, 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 to play the lead. And there's one other there's one other character which is kind of a blues musician guy, but basically it's a one woman show. She plays twelve characters, twelve characters, and the first reading, oh, and it's it's titled Crazy Mama, and the <laughs> first reading, kind of a stage reading we had, we had the reading just to you know to take notes. We had eighty people we didn't know an audience and just see how the audience reacts because. You know how your play is by the audience reaction. Well, there was a standing ovation at intermission and there was a five minute standing ovation at the curtain. So I turned to Sharon and I said, I think we got something here. And uh, so Bethel Woods, which is exact spot where Woodstock took place. Uh, a billionaire bought it up years ago and put in a 16,000 seat amphitheater other theaters. I mean, it's it's a huge entertainment complex right there in upstate New York. A big deal. And they decided that they would like to 
go into developing theater that can then go to Broadway, like the, the, La, Jolla, the La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego. They develop shows there and then they get passive income by taking it to New York. The first one they ever did was a little show called Tommy. Then they did Big River. They own pieces of 33 Broadway shows. So all these plays were submitted to Bethel Woods and guess which one they picked? Crazy Mama. So, and I'm directing and it's gonna be fabulous. And it opens April 12th at the Bethel uh, Woods Center in uh, Woodstock, New York. And uh, if people want to look, look into it, they, they can go to BethelWoodsCenter.org. And uh, so I'm I, literally, it's Pulitzer Prize winning material. Sharon is going to be, she's going to break out as a writer, um, well-known writer as it should be. And I'm, and I'm excited because the first things the first things I ever directed, I, I created, because no one will give you a break. First one is No Greater Gift of the Organ Donorship. Then another one was really kind of a political. Another one was an anti-drug. And I loved it because we were doing entertainment that had a message that, that really had an effect. We, we doubled donor cards in the United States within the program. I mean, those, those are the stories you want to tell. And now I'm able to do it through theater. I'm able to go back and do the same thing by offering it, but something so important to help, you know, our, you know, our folks. So that's it. So crazy mama, April 12th, Bethel Wood Center in Woodstock. And uh, hopefully from there, hopefully from there, we'll go to off Broadway. Oh, that'd be great. What, yeah. what made you guys choose April 12th? Um, actually, Carolyn, first of all, there's a couple of things. Carolyn Hennessy schedule. Uh, because she's very busy and also Bethel Wood schedule. So it's between the two, you know, you know, just co coordination. Oh, you very know, cool. I'm just glad we have a date, you know, because yeah. like, <laughs> in the next week we'd figure it out. You know, we're getting, we're going there. We're getting this thing up. <laughs> now, really, if, it's, it's would brilliant. that be amazing if you directed on Broadway, Anson, that happens if we, well, this, I don't know if this would go to Broadway. It would go to off-Broadway. But I'll tell you, that's always been a dream. Even as an actor, I wanted to do Broadway. And, and the one offer I ever had is between that and Happy Days. So I took Happy Days. <laughs> yeah. That was, I, that was a I good would, pick. I would love to direct. Directing theater, especially at this time of my life, it's just so, I mean, it's just so creative. It's so tactile. It's so collaborative and it's faster. And um, it's not quite the grind of filmmaking. I mean, it's, it's filmmaking. It's tough. I mean, you know, my friend Ron Howard, I mean, God, he, I mean, he's doing a big film now in Australia. It is grueling. It really is. And, uh, and I don't know, I, I started in theater and love theater. And it's just great decades later to get back, back to the beginnings. And I just, and it's just, I forgot to fun, how satisfying, how creative. And also it's, a, and, and just the wonderful collaboration you get with, with the talent you need. Um, it's just, it's just, just a wonderful, wonderful, you know, it's a wonderful way to entertain. That's great. You know, a few weeks ago, I think it was, Neil, uh, you know, we were chatting with your friend, Ralph Mouth. And uh, it Funny, reminded me, friend, yeah, how you guys, uh, you know, hang out together. I mean, and still talk every day. I mean, it, you and Henry and Ron, you, yeah. since the last time we talked, you're still, you're still keeping that up. Yeah, we just, we just, let's see, Ron, a couple of us were Zooming, and a few of us are at Marion Ross's house. 
you know, Mr. C. And all together, we did an interview for the um, New York Times about the 50th anniversary of Happy Days. And we were talking about that. And we're still so close, 50, 50 years, man. Wow. And we have, we have, and we have an open text. We, every, every, we, <laughs> two, three times a week, we're in contact with each other, no matter where we are. And we never talk business. It's yeah. all we're friends. We're true friends. And uh, it's just amazing. It's amazing we have that kind of depth of a friendship. I was just on. I was just texting Donnie before uh, I came on the phone. He's going to be doing a, bi a, a big uh, seventeen-piece band uh, fundraiser uh, in Ventura uh, some sometime in June. Uh, we were talking about that, and he's and Don, by the way, I hope he talked about his seat, his album. Yeah, uh, New York did. High. Yeah. Did you did you look? Did you see the video? Did you see his video? New York High video? I didn't see it, no. No, I did not. Oh, it's you should see it. it he's it's great. And there's this huge um I guess show there in in London, like the top ten. And his song is number six right now. There. Wow. Guy. Wow. And so everyone everyone should go uh I guess just go to Don Most on Facebook or or Instagram. And check it out. Check check out New York High with Don Most, Donnie Most. That's great. Great promoting someone else. That's that's the humbleness of you for sure. Now, Greg, first time was on here. It was not called Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto. So, Greg, you do have a question. I do have a question. Never got the chance with Anson the first I time. Can't, can't wait to ask you this question, Anson. Uh oh. So <laughs> it's my favorite question. I ask all of the guests this question. And, you uh -oh. know, it really, it helps me in my own life, you know, because it's important okay. for me to learn from people because I, I know nothing. The older I get, the more I realize the little I know. So. Right. 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 Huh? right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like you go, I'm not very smart. Exactly. <laughs> I have a lot to learn. Gee. <laughs> so, all right, here it goes, Anson. Tell right. me, what's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned? Kindness. I, absolute kindness because that that hits so many levels of your life and it, it improves your life in so many ways it's not a simple word if you if you take it if you really put it in your heart and put it in your life it's amazing the cause and effect of kindness that betters your life truly and kindness also also is selflessness and someone gave me the greatest greatest quote that stayed with me for years. And this is way back. And I'm, I'm wondering if Gary Marshall, I'm thinking Gary Marshall gave us a school because Gary Marshall was instrumental in keeping us grounded and creative and, and, and inspired us to educate ourselves about many areas of the entertainment business so we could still have careers. But more than anything, he was a very kind man. And he said, I believe he said this, he said, Guys, you're in it. And what's in it mean? You, you're in it. You got a fire going. You want to make it. You want to get rich. You want to get out there. And he goes, and yes, God bless. But never, ever be of it. It's what you do. It's not who you are. Don't hide behind things. Don't hide behind things. It's which, if, it's, if, if you're of it, it's over. It's over. You'll never find out who you are. You'll live, you, you know, you'll never have enough and you'll be miserable. So that wow. also goes to kindness. 
And one thing I've learned, I mean, at a young age, I mean, kids today, or actors today, when I was directing, I try to put it in their head. They get a little ego and, you know, they, they, these days you get, you know, 2 million people watching a show, it's a big hit. You know, we had 60 million every week, you know. So we knew, we knew stardom. We, we, we knew Beatlemania. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we witnessed, we, we experienced everything you could possibly think of with fame. Everything, everything. And you know, which, and you, and you know, you go, you know, climbing the tree in my parents' backyard is pretty cool. You know, it's like the basic. You go, wow, none of this. This is great, but it's the basics that matter. Every, every, you know, every corny statement is true. You know, it's family, it's friends, it's giving before taking, and that's the other thing in life, and that's kindness. Give before you take, and wow. you do that. You receive, boy, you receive, boy, do you receive wonderful things when you when you have that kind of kindness and selfless character and we were taught that by gary but that that's been absolutely the biggest lesson wow that's awesome thank you all right guys uh anson best place to go it's really fast best place to find info on you and stuff anson's go where oh i'm i'm so bad with social media guys but i'm on i'm on facebook everyone can come open to the public so anson williams at facebook all right, that was special uh, simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto. Greg, hi, on guys. Take care. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Toss C3 Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the founder of Toss C3, Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing fantastic, Neil. How are you this week? Fantastic. And today's topic is Splunk Augmentation. And guess what? I have no idea what it is. That's why you're the expert in cybersecurity, and I'm just, I'm just going to pass it on to you. Well, let's talk about what Splunk is, first of all. It's a tool that's used mostly in the enterprise. And I'm talking about, you know, the Fortune 1000 uh, level companies, you know, the ones that have massive amounts of data and the massive amounts of employees, massive amounts of devices, and so on. So let's just uh, talk for a moment and remind everyone that every device, whether it's a, a PC, um, a laptop, a firewall, an internet of thing device, like a coffee maker or whatever, you know, they all create what we call telemetry data and information. And these are usually kept in logs. Um, and those logs are then sent out and into a, what we call like a data lake or, you know, data repository. Um, and then they are ingested into like, we've talked about a SIM um, or some type of tool that can sort and make sense of the data, um, run reports against it, look for, you know, thread vectors, you know, analyze, uh, maybe sift and sort and present data in such a way that cybersecurity analysts, the SOC analysts can take, you know, remediative steps or preventative steps based upon, you know, whether they're red or orange or yellow um, alerted. And that's kind of what Splunk does, right? So it takes, you know, all the information from all these places in the data lake, and then it just, you know, Run, you can run queries against it and so on, and it presents all types of useful information um, and so on. Dashboards you can create and different charts, and you get the idea, right? So it's, oh. it's like a command center, right, for the security operations people. It's amazing. Well, well what Splunk Augmentation is, um, one of my number one partners um, that I work with at TOS is called Sentinel One. They are uh, an AI cybersecurity company. They have a really cool technology, Purple AI, and 
and it goes across, you know, all threat vector platforms. So they protect the enterprise completely from the mobile device, you know, through the servers, through the cloud, everywhere, right? And they have uh, their own data lake that they've created that's extremely fast. And it's it's what we ca call kept hot. And hot means that the data is like live on SSD or some super fast storage, ready to go at all times. Now, where is that important? Well, if you tie that with Splunk, you know, Splunk has tens of millions of records that you query through if you're an enterprise, you know, to make a useful report. Well, using native Splunk alone, those can take, you know, minutes and sometimes longer to generate a report. So imagine if you're busy and you want to analyze something and you run a report, it takes five minutes to come back. And then you're like, you know, I wonder if you start doing some what if scenarios. I wonder if we look at the attack from this perspective or the potential uh, IPs that we're looking at from this perspective, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you run it again, it's another five minutes. Well, those, those really add up. Um, what the augmentation can do with Sentinel-1 is that they can take those tens of millions of records in the query and return them to you like instant. I mean, it's so fast, it's amazing. So now it's an extremely useful, you know, to take the power of Splunk, and then now you can really generate your, you know, your what's if scenarios and really go to town on it. That's the first thing this does. The second thing is really for your CISO, your CSO, your CTO, CIO, and your CFO is, you know, because it's Sentinel One's doing this, they're they're now hosting that data in their data lake and increasing the query speed, uh, as I had mentioned, almost ten times. You know what you get natively is that they can reduce the cost. I've seen up to 30%, you know, sometimes even higher on your Splunk cost per month. And, you know, Splunk costs are associated with queries and storage for all this information. So basically, the way I like to put it is Sentinel-1 can make the Splunk that you have and love better, faster, cheaper. I mean, how important is it to be running this on a regular basis. Uh, the missing components with the hacking, how scary is it? What's happening now? Greg, from let's say when we started 2023 to today, it's really, a, it's gotten very, very, if any business does not have cybersecurity, they're really taking a big chance, aren't they? Uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, think of the concept of compounding interest in the bank, right? You start off your IRA, you know, with uh, 500 bucks when, you know, when you're 19. And then by the time you're 75, it's millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? Well, how does that happen? You know, if you looked at it when you were 40, it's not all that impressive. Impressive. So, you know, compounding works where it's it's the last later months or years or days uh, where it really just piles up and piles off and to such an immense degree. Uh, you know, as Napoleon Hill says in his book, Three Can Grow Rich, you know, the, the money comes so quickly and in such a, a massive volume, uh, almost like a fire hose that you wonder where it has been all those lean years. And that's really what compounding interest does. Now take that into cybersecurity and let's look at what's happening there. Well, compounding, you know, as you mentioned, years back, you knew about it a bit, not so much. But if you've noticed over the years, it's just been faster and faster and more and more and more until now where we are today, I mean, you can't help but pick up any, any uh, physical paper or look online, uh, any digital resource that you read. And there's just an amazing amount of attacks happening constantly all day long, every day. 
One topic we might have to cover is the latest movie on Netflix, Greg. If you've not seen it about cybersecurity, the whole thing was cybersecurity, meaning it was a it was a hack. It was it was basically uh, a hack that destroyed the end ended the world. So that's Julia Roberts. It's really good, and it's a really good movie. I wish I knew about it before I watched it. That it was intriguing to see how literally if someone hacked a certain computer system, water supply, airlines, anything, the world's over. That's why we yep. need cybersecurity. That was a great movie. Let's talk about that next time because I enjoyed that. I just watched that on Tuesday night. I watched it this week too. I think I watched it on uh, Saturday night. All right, we'll talk about that in the next podcast. But right now, if you want to talk to Greg, is go to tossc3.com and schedule a call with Greg today. Appreciate it, Greg. Thanks, Neil. All right, that was the Toss C3 podcast, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Toss C3 podcast. I'm excited to welcome the founder of Toss C3, Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing amazingly well. Can't wait to talk to you about these things that we're about to jump into. Uh, uh, this is fun. Finally, pop culture. Finally, we're going to smile at the end of 2023, even though it, the movie wasn't all about smiling. So I've been going to Netflix, and I've been very depressed. Uh, no new shows, no new anything, and I see number one movie. Thank goodness it's not a foreign film. No knock on that. But it, it was a it, and it's in the topic, and I said, oh, my gosh, it's cybersecurity. So I'm going to throw it back to Greg. That was a great recommendation, but this movie with Julia Roberts was fantastic because of the topic, and we'll discuss it. Greg, what was the name of it? Oh, man, that was a great film. I just watched that uh, this week. It's called Leave the World Behind. And, you know, it's got Julia Roberts in there. Ethan Hawke is in there. Kevin Bacon is in there. You know, and a bunch of upcoming stars and some that you'll already recognize as well. And it was just amazing what was going on. You know, it's, it's, it's set in New York. They make their trip over to, um, uh, oh, gee, what's the name of that that beach that's so famous? Long Island, right? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's some sort Island. of beach. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll edit that out. But, I mean, I think it's basically, I think it was a, they didn't even want to say the real name of it because of the, it was kind of like a, you know, how like they had Metropolis. I don't think they brought the real name. <laughs> yeah, but, Metropolis, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's so funny. I, I think at one point they did slip it out, though, because, you know, when they show the picture of Manhattan, you know, with the planes and, and the bombs going off and so on. I mean, that was that was just wild, right? So anyway, the, the point of this is it's scary. I mean, it haunted me for a, for a good few hours after I watched it. Uh, it's all around cyber attack, right? So there's these major cyber attacks that happen and, uh, you know, they hit infrastructure, right? So there was no communications. Um, there was, you know, no air traffic traffic control. They took out the satellites. Uh, so there was no satellite phone. A lot of people say, oh, I have a satellite phone. You know, in fact, I was going to get one for my, for my wife for Christmas just to have, you know, because she likes to be prepared. And uh, th this erased that saved me a couple thousand bucks because <laughs> it didn't work, you know? Uh, so that was pretty amazing. But, you know, the long and the short of it is, is that it's scary, it's present. And, you know, what do they say that we're 72 hours away from anarchy, right? So if something bad ever happens, you know, then you go into your human instincts and Kevin Bacon played this a great role of somebody who went from, you know, being this, uh, you know, amazing contractor guy uh, to going back to his basic human instincts, which is, um, you know, hunt and have things and protect his family 
And uh, even if uh, he was best friends with somebody uh, a few days earlier, he just wasn't anymore because he was totally in a different mode of survival. Totally. And without giving away the movie, everyone needs to check it out. The bottom line is one cyber, they knew a way to make it so that it was anarchy. It was some country. They didn't tell what country was attacking us, uh, that they used cyber attacks to do it. And then once you get to a certain level, anarchy begins. Just imagine if we were able to shut down the water supply. For example, outside of Pittsburgh, they, uh, they, uh, there was a cyber attack on a water source. That's scary. This just happened a couple weeks ago in Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh. I don't know if you saw that news, but what could happen if certain infrastructure that's all computer-based is attacked, Greg? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. You know, the power plants is one of the biggest ones. Um, water filtration plants and systems. Um, how about shipping? I mean, that was one of the important things here. You know, nav systems were out. GPS was out. Uh, so, you know, you have you had freighters, you had an oil freighter that got beached in this movie, you know, for that reason, you had planes dropping out of the sky, because, you know, there was no air traffic and the GPSs were were short. And one thing that was amazing to me that I really enjoyed seeing was, you know, I'm, I'm a huge technologist, but, you know, I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of uh of electric cars. I just, I'm just not right. There's, it's all too much um, control given away out of your hands and computerized and so on. And what they did in this movie is they showed that the attackers hacked uh, Tesla dealerships and they blocked the right. roads, you know, using the autonomous driving of the vehicle remotely. And they just filled up the lanes, you know, plowing car after car after car all around you know, Manhattan and, and the roads in and out to Jersey and so on, you know, with these Teslas, it was just uh, incredible. Yeah, but I don't, the only thing I'm concerned about, and I'm sure as you as a, as this expert in cybersecurity, what if someone wants to copy this now after watching this? <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? Movies are already based in reality. I think, I think it's Hollywood's way of letting us know what's already happened or what is to come. I'm really hopeful that whoever sees this movie or already has worked in the background, you know, is just already blocking and tackling, preventing this thing from happening uh, because it's scary where we're headed. And with all the attacks that are going on from, you know, domestic as, as well as state uh, uh, terrorists around the world and, you know, wanting to take us out. I mean, it, it something like this is bound to happen if, if we don't get ahead of it. The new, whoever the new administration 2024 is, Greg Hanna needs to be the director of cybersecurity for, for, for the, that's, I'm going to already be putting that out there, that Greg's got to be the guy. That's it. That's, that's <laughs> there you go. You know, he's heading, he's heading to the White House in 2024. Um, you've heard it here first, but go to again, tossc3.com to schedule a call with Greg today because Greg has the knowledge, but also Greg is really concerned. I'm telling you, I've heard all these different cybersecurity experts come on and they kind of scary, but Greg's like, Hey, matter of fact, it's going to happen. And I think that's the other problem. We're, we're too kind of like willy nilly at times, Greg, right? Like it's not, this isn't going to happen. You're protected. You're good. When it's really not the truth. You got to constantly be vigilant every step of the way, anytime yeah, of the that's day, right. right? That's right. Okay. All right. That was the Toss C3 podcast, guys. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. I'm first excited to welcome my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series and owner of many different companies. 
Paul, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. I am. Uh, we have Tank Jones with us today. Uh, um, uh, I would like to say a famous actor, but I, I know he's going to be one very soon if he's if he's not already. So, uh, at least yeah, Tank, Tank in his way definitely is. Now, Tank, let's talk about your acting career since the last time you were on an athlete turned actor. It's it's gone through some process since then, right? Since a lot, it was like almost 13, 12, 13 years ago, because it'll be 15 years I've been doing my show, uh, December. Go figure, right, man? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I am the number one independent show, Google. If you put Google Bard and type my name in Neil Haley's show, it says it's the number one independent show. I don't know how the heck that happened, but thank you, Google Bard. I'm number seven celebrity podcast in the world according to Feedspot. So we're Consistency really- Consistency pays off, my brother. Yeah, you got you to gotta be consistent. Do a, a thousand plus shows, live through it, and you, you build your TAM. All right, so tell us a little bit about what's happening in the, uh, you know, how you got became an actor and what's happening now. We'll kind of delve into a bunch of different things. Well, it started when I was in the wolves. No, um, <laughs> seriously, um, quick synopsis of that. I actually did my first commercial when I was two. Uh, it was a Sesame Street commercial. Then when I was a kid, I did church plays. I did, um, and I'm going to talk about that in a second because some things have just came full circle. When it came, my very first role, Neil, that I ever played besides the Sesame Street thing, I played Jesus in a, a church play. That was the very first thing that I did as an actor. So, um, like you said, things have been going through ebb and flow, up and down, particularly with the SAG strike. I was in the middle of shooting a film when the strike happened, so we had to stop production. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to start up again. Um, come next, I just had a film released, uh, Bringing Back Christmas. Uh, you can catch it set on Amazon Prime, Apple TV. It's doing very well. I play a hobo and the Archangel Gabriel at the same time. That's all I'm going to tell you. Go look it up. Bring it back Christmas. It's, it's doing doing well. My son, because uh, since the last time I talked to you, that is a revelation of things that have happened. My younger son, Rajon, he is now an actor as well. And he's in the film Bringing Back Christmas. And he actually won two Best Child Actor Awards in that. So I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm a proud dad when it comes to that. Um, I've got, I'm doing plays again. Uh, be partially because of the strike, but also I do miss being on stage. And uh, one of them I do next week in Arizona, and the other one will be five shows, five Broadway-style shows in Phoenix come March. And after that, I will be shooting a film that I've been waiting to shoot, Neil, for four years. Uh, it's called The Legend of Hoshea Donovan. It's a Western, and super excited about that. And I know you got other questions to ask me, brother. No, I want to go back. So, Tank, it's kind of remind me you're an athlete first before an actor, right? So, yes and yes. Um, I've been an actor pretty much for my whole life. But, yeah, I also – I played basketball, football, ran track, uh, state champion, did uh, – um, thought we were going to go to college to play. I got offers, but – Ultimately, when I got to college, back when I went to college, there was no entertainment crossover. And if you had made money as a performer, there were restrictions that didn't allow you to play uh, particular college sports. So that's what happened to me. By the time I, I had already um, actually made money as an actor, so I, I had certain sports I couldn't participate in. 
Oh, wow. Okay, so let's let, let, let's delve back into, you know, specifically acting. What do you think your biggest role was in your career? Like, your, and then we'll talk about favorites. It's always the next one, brother. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's always the next one. I am, uh, Neil, I'll tell you the most challenging one, and it's one that I'm finishing up, actually. And the film is called Reminisce. It's about a guy, he uh, wakes up, he's outside of his car, he's concussed, had an accident, and he had his family in the car, he starts freaking out, so he gets up, and when he looks around to check for his family, his family's not there. And this sets him on a journey to try to figure out, piece together exactly what happened, where his family is, and is everybody okay? And I'm the title uh, character, for that film and i have never done a film that's been more challenging than that film and it's the one in which the said that i'm finishing up that hopefully we get a chance to finish up next month it's called reminisce it'll be coming out later next year so that's kind of my tip of the sphere um i enjoyed like last time i spoke to you i believe it was union bound i played a i played a runaway slave and i enjoyed that one as well but by as an actor the thing that has challenged me the most is the film in which that i'm trying that we're finishing up hopefully next month well and what do you think your ultimate goals as an actor are especially you know where you're going now the opportunities out there in acting with all the different streaming platforms and things like that well i'm i'm actually neil kind of living it right now i i, I get it i shoot several projects a year i've built a nice network of producers that Call me back. I'm right now. I'm a recurring character on Dark Winds, which is an AMC show. And season two just came out uh, this past summer. I play a um, private investigator, Deloitte Webster. Uh, hopefully they increase my role for season three, which I've been having conversations about. So I believe that's going to happen as well. My three big things um, reminisce when it comes out. The Legend of Hoshea Donovan. I'm Hoshea Donovan. And I wrote it, like I said, I wrote an acting course to help new actors, wannabe actors, struggling actors to find the three key things that you need to have success and longevity in this business. So I've had a fairly lengthy career. My arc is going this way, brother. And but but, but see, it's just early in your career. In acting, it's early. It's not like an athlete, right? You can because I don't have to retire when Tom Brady decided he retired. LeBron ain't never retired. He'll be playing till he 80. <laughs> but that's the thing with acting. You it continues and you're you're never too young and you're never too old. And I'm at a nice sweet spot right now as far as where I'm at. I've got the experience. I'm now passing on that information. Like I said I got a nice network and the roles are starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm being blessed to whereas I'm being able to knock those down. I loved um of course, everybody wants to do the bigger projects, and I'm no exception to that. And I've done a couple of those, but I want to do it to where I'm an integral part of telling the story. So I guess that would be the answer to your question: to continue to produce my to produce one or two projects of my own every year, to do one or two big budget films every year, and to do one or two independents every year, traveling the world, doing it with my family, and influencing, helping other people. And having your son act too, that's great too. And the potential he has. What do you think of his potential? Big. I, so my quick story, I didn't want my son to be an actor. 
My girls, when I have two, they're teenagers now, but when they were younger and we were based in LA, they were doing commercials with me. We did a couple national commercials together. We did print jobs together. But when I made home base California, Arizona, they didn't seem as interested, Neil. And so my son, when he was born, I told my wife, I'm not even going to bring him to set. I'm not going to introduce him, tell him anything about acting. I went to North Carolina to shoot a film for six weeks. When I came back, we, he was five years old. And I picked him up, and the first thing he said to me was, Dad, 